Welcome, everyone, to the Knights of Awakening. I am your host, Charles. I've got with me Justin. Whoop, whoop. I've got with me Alicia. Hi. And I have prepared for us the topic for today. Well, I haven't prepared. The uh, very nature of discussions has brought us to a topic of some interest that we thought we'd like to voice some uh, discussion and discourse on. And that is moral relativism and destiny. And I thought we'd throw the destiny part in there and the roads that these lead to. Now, a lot of people don't know what moral relativism is. And a lot of them think they know what destiny is or they have a vague idea of it. So I'm going to start us out with Alethea. Alethea, when you hear the words moral relativism and destiny, what do you think about it? When I think of moral relativism, I think of people that are, they believe that there's no real moral ground and it's determined by the person rather than by a divine law that should be universal. Like, I believe that it's okay to have small moral relativism. Like, small deviation. Nothing massive, like, don't cross the line on pedophilia. No. Sorry. Nope. Line, line drawn right there. But stuff like abortion can have some, some deviance. Because we're still discussing that. That, that hasn't been something that has been concrete down that universal. Uh, listen. What you feel in your heart is not the Jedi path. I don't know if you remember that. Well, I, I've actually got a mark, mark point for us to discuss the uh, Jedi view on that uh, more more in detail. So you would say then moral relativism is the idea that morals are solely created and that therefore they don't have much meaning because there's no divine inspiration that makes them mean more. Yes, that's what moral relativism is to me. What would you What would you say on destiny? Do you would you Would you say well, What do you think of when you think of destiny? Because everyone has a different view on what this is. So when I think of destiny, I think of something that's concrete. It you how you get to that destiny, not necessarily concrete, but you will okay. achieve this goal. It, it will happen because it is preordained, so to speak, that it's going to happen. So there's some sort of timeline. I, I, I don't know. Has any of, have you been watching Loki? Oh, yes. Okay, so then you, you'll understand this one. I don't know if Justin will. but I like do, but, ca- but, but be careful with for spoilers, though. It's like a brand it's new show. It's the first episode. It's the first yeah. episode. Spoilers out there. Yeah. Everyone, this is a I haven't watched anything except the first episode, so... In there, they have that basically that there's one timeline. It has to be this one timeline, and any variance off of that is not kosher, so to speak. And you have to stay on this one timeline. So, me for me, destiny is the small variances that have to hit those that timeline. It can't be any other timeline. There could be no other timeline. They all got to come back to this timeline. Okay, that that makes sense. So, Justin. 
what what is your thoughts on moral relativism? How would you define moral relativism first? Well, it it, it is it is uh, those brief allowances for for me. It's those brief allowances in uh, in your personal code or your personal morals. Not to be con- not to be confused with ethics, by the way. Ethics are something a little different than morals. Uh, but you know, for example, uh, somebody steals a bag of bread because they haven't eaten in four days. Um, I think that's something you know that somebody could could uh, make an allowance for, versus as Ali said, somebody who's uh, you know blatantly abusing a child sexually or something. Those are two big, big you know far off extremes. But um, a, a, as that discussion came up, that that were that spurred us on, it was you know what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? Well, you know there are clear lines in the sand. I, you know I think there is some room for for relativism. Uh, but I think there has to be a clearly defined line. So for me, you know, there are some allowances I make. Um, I have professionally for 20 years. I mean, you know, so, um, yeah. So it's, it's that, it's, it's that allowance, uh, against your, 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 your moral standpoint, um, depending on the situation that's in front of you. That's how I would define it. Excellent. That's a very good definition. Uh, and what are your, what, how would you define destiny? Well, I I see destiny in in, in terms of um, understanding that everything in the future is is potential. You know, it's not it's not set. I don't like I don't like destiny when it's applied um, absolutely like that because if that were the case, then we would have no no need to be responsible in our lives. We'd have no need to be respectful. We would have no need to be anything. We could just exist, right? So I think uh I think there may be some road markers in our path that that might be uh and I, and I say this loosely I'm not even sure if those are predetermined but I I like to think that uh we have more control over our our where we go in our futures and everybody else's futures um based on what we do now. So I don't I don't know. I think destiny is what you make it, I guess. Yeah, I I like that. So um, of course, I'm going to get my thoughts on these two things. And then can we to... also go into the definition definitions afterwards? Uh, we can. If you'd like to look those up for us and get them ready, okay. uh, I'll be able to give you a minute or two for sure. I mean, I'm not that I'm long-winded or anything, but uh, uh, moral relativism is something that I see come up an awful lot, and I'll say that I've always kind of viewed it as this idea that for every rule there's an exception. But honestly, my view of moral relativism is this idea that all morals are relative to the person or the situation or a concept of right and wrong. Um, So I personally, when I see the concept of moral relativism getting brought up, it definitely... uh, it definitely gets my attention because generally speaking, as a, my definition of moral relativism is the idea that all morals are relative. Therefore, they're only as solid as the people enforcing them or maintaining them. Um, destiny itself is the idea of predetermination. Uh, simply put, that all things must wind out a certain way. But I believe 
that while there may be a universal destiny, that it's not on a minute timeline level. So, for example, morality, using moral relativism, has shifted in the past thousand years significantly. But it has become much more relaxed in some areas and much more stringent in others based on the amount of harm that is being suffered. It has become far more based on the qual on the qualities and ideals of equality. I believe that therefore we are seeing a destiny in action for humanity, but the destiny for a larger system is not the destiny for the parts of the system. It doesn't mean that uh, you're entitled to definitive and true justice in your life, even though I think one day we will have a human society in which justice is the founding principle and there is no injustice. I don't think it'll be today. It's taken us a thousand years to get here and we're just now able to see the tip of the iceberg. So it might be two, three, four, or five thousand more years before we even get close to it. So that's how I see destiny. I see it as a bigger system, not smaller system. I think in smaller systems, uh, they may contribute towards destiny, but it's kind of like throwing random numbers out and having a, an overall larger pattern in those random numbers. Those are my things. Allie, we're, we're getting a ton of static for you over there. Might have been my jacket. Okay. That, that improved it. Um, Inside your jacket, did we find those definitions? <laughs> yeah, okay. So, I'm going to pull from Cambridge Dictionary for uh, Destiny, and then I'm going to pull from Texas, University of Texas for Moral Relativism, because there's a little bit there. So, Destiny uh, C1, so I guess that's definition one, the things that will happen in the future. So the destiny of our, our nation depends on this vote. She felt that her destiny had been shaped by her gender. People want to control slash determine slash take charge of their own destiny. C1. That's also C1. Okay, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so then this one says the force that some people think controls what happens in the future and is outside human control. Uh, the particular state of a person or thing in the future considered as resulting from earlier events. Destiny is the force that some people... Oh, yeah, that's already there. Okay, so so that, that's the extent of destiny. Moral relativism. You guys want to comment on that? The other one first? Um, yeah, I do, because a lot of people have their own view of destiny, for sure. Um, and I think what's really neat is that you have a word like destiny, which basically means Certainty, uh, a non-changing, non-influenceable timeline versus our ideas of destiny, which may be uh, way markers that you're going to hit one way or the other, whereas everything else is still up to you. Mm. Um, it's kind of neat when you when you look at things like this, how the personal definition, I want to say humanizes it or, or often makes it more bearable to the idea of, of free will. Like, we don't like the idea of things encroaching on our free will. So, Justin, what do you think? Yeah, I don't... I stand by what I said earlier. I, I don't... I don't think that the point of us existing is just to... Just to say, well, no matter what I do, it doesn't matter. You know, I mean, it goes against so many different religious doc, doctrines, that philosophical doctrines, 
spiritual doctrines that are found all over the universe. Well, known universe. So I, I don't I, I don't buy into the fact that everything is completely set in stone. I just can't because I have seen choice and consequence in in action in my own life. I I, I you know I can only go by what I've seen. So I know that if I make choice A and B, that consequence A and B is going to happen because I've seen it happen. I've tested the theories. That's what we do when we're when we're little, right? We 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 test the we test the waters. We test the we test our parents. We test when we get a little older. We test our teachers, and we we rebel a little bit, and we see the results of these choices. And then, even so, you know, I'm I'm in my 40s now. I can see the fruits of my choices back from when I was 20. I can see them in today. So I don't I don't believe that that everything is pre predestined that way. It's just I haven't seen evidence for it. So that's where I'm at. Okay. I want to ask you both a question on this this concept of destiny. Since I don't think any of us are holding to it in that conclusive way, it seems, why do you think people really run to this idea or flock to it or embrace it as a way of viewing the world? What causes a person to want to view the world in solid destiny? Not even the vague forms of... Comfort. Comfort. It makes them feel good. It makes them feel safe sometimes. To know that, well, and not even just safe, but, but to know that there, there are no, imagine living a life, Charles, with no consequences. How awesome would that be? Like, it would be awesome sometimes. We don't want to be, we don't want to face consequences because we sometimes forget that consequences are both good and bad. I mean, there are good consequences, right? Uh, so, I do, I, I do want to put a little footnote on what I said just a minute ago too. I do believe in, 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 in kind of quote unquote destiny in that, um, things that, that, uh, maybe where we are born or who we're, who we're born to, um, the conditions that we were born under. I'm not exactly sure if those are destiny or not. I'm still, the jury's still out on that for me. So. So I, what so I'm going to, oh, okay. sorry, go ahead. Well, I guess what you're saying is you don't know if you believe in destiny. You certainly do believe in circumstance. Right. Yeah, you, you can say it that way. Because those the, the, those circumstances do change the course of your life in, in big ways. You know, I mean, you know, so, so, so. Maybe not destiny like a predetermined timeline, but maybe it's like shooting an arrow in the air and things can move that arrow. Well, some of us are definitely more fortunate to be born uh, where we're born, to who we're born, and how we're born versus others. So, you know, uh, if, if, if someone could take comfort in saying that's destiny, uh, I was destined to be born here. I was destined to be born to these parents. Sure. I, you know, I could, I, I could kind of wrap my head around that, but, uh, yeah. Okay. Allie, what was it you were going to say? So my thing, my view on this is one, my answer to your question, Justin, and obviously it doesn't have to be your answer, but, uh, I think that that's also circumstance, that you're born to whomever. I don't believe that that's destiny, simply because there are too many too many souls in the world and too many that are born to different circumstances. And I think that, and to me, that ties into what I believe as to why people want to believe in destiny, and that's because there has to be something that explains this. It's the same reason that people say God controls every little aspect of a Christian's life. And I don't believe that either. 
Yeah. It certainly seems, it certainly feels more comfortable, I think, to do that in a lot of ways. Yeah. I recall... Or just a reason to laugh it off because it's just ridiculous. How could I possibly be in this situation? Because if you, if you believe that, if you believe that, if you're told, you're constantly told everything that happens to you is because of, because you, you got there. You did it to yourself. That's not always true. Some people just can't get out of their situation no matter what they do. Some people cannot either due to uh, a disability that they have, they're born with, they just can't get out of it. Yeah, or, that's exactly right. And I think that's why that's why there is room for some moral relativism in my life, you know, because I have to make those allowances sometimes, right? Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I definitely can see where you're both coming from on that. With, so, uh, yeah, I, I really believe that that's the reason why people want to believe in destiny is because if it does, if destiny doesn't exist, why the hell is life the way it is? I think, uh, just, just one other little point, I think, as in all things that we've discovered over the years together, that it's, we start having a problem when people go, you know, really extreme one way or the other, and that's where we start finding the, the problems uh, in philosophy and, and, and in maybe religion and spirituality. It's when we go all the way to one side or all the way to the other. Yeah, and, and just so it's clear, I am speaking from the perspective that it's a defined, this is always going to happen, not from the loose terminology that we had presented earlier. Yeah, and we can see that. I mean, I, I in my studies, I find that, that ideal of absolute destiny, you know, in, in a lot of different philosophies and a lot of different religions and a lot of different spiritualities. And um, I, I, so, I mean, it does exist. Those ideals do exist for people. It just, I just think they're a little too extreme when they're taken all the way to absolutism. Hmm. Have you guys noticed that the ideal of destiny specifically generally comes from society and at time periods when freedom or the ability to better oneself directly is lesser or non-existent in some instances. And the good example I'm going to bring up, and no one will expect me to bring this one up, is the sword and the stone. It is it is a time frame in which you are born a king or you're not born a king. If you're born a king, you will be king regardless of any other circumstance. A story that was a way of people understanding that if they were born a farmer... That was it. They were a farmer. They would not become a king. They're not destined to pull the sword from the stone. No, that makes sense. And we see a lot of modern myths that try to break that down and even retell that story in the sense of you can't be king until you're ready. Right. Or we see what-if stories. What if Arthur had not drawn it? Who would have stepped up? So the idea being that destiny is a role that has to be filled, but not necessarily by this guy or that guy or this girl or that girl. That it's, it's a point in time that has to happen because it's a major turning point, an event that has been anchored. So a partial destiny event. Yeah. What, how does that, is that the Doctor Who thing? He says something to the effect of there are points that you cannot change at all. They have yeah, to happen. Yeah, you, know, you know, he said that, and I always, I always thought it was a little cowardice of him to, to believe that there was something he couldn't change. But I like Doctor Who, and I also... I have, a, I have a weird view of Doctor Who. I, I think Doctor Who is actually your story. It's my story, too. The whole point behind the entire series is that we're actually all the Doctor. 
in a different reincarnation, but we've lost our, we've lost the memory. That's why it becomes so very personal for us, because we could have been the doctor. And you've got to be somewhat of a fan of it to take that viewpoint, because the second or third doctor did lose his memory. So you have an entire series, an entire season, with the character without memory. So... I, I've, I've always, I've always, that, that is a Doctor Who type, a Doctor Who type thing. I, I've, I've, I've read a lot of time travel fiction and a lot of time travel fiction anchors in on this idea of predetermined anchor points. Uh, so yeah, it, it's in a lot of fiction. It's not just Doctor Who. That's true. Still, Doctor Who is the one that came to mind. Yeah. <laughs> well, what about Back to the Future? You know hey, what? Charles? I was about to say he's going to say something about Back to the Future. <laughs> hey, Charles. Father, can a man really change his stars? Yes, William. If he if he believes enough, a man could do anything. That's a that that that's a quote uh, from a, a Knight's Tale that that really strikes home for me the my understanding of destiny because he was born a Thatcher son, a nobody, a a, a whatever. And he ended up becoming a knight because he acted like a knight because he did knightly things, not because anybody had made him a knight up until, of course, the end. But yeah, he changed his, his he changed what they thought his destiny would be. And that's kind of my point. We're in a modern era where what you're born to does not completely determine who you're going to be and what you're going to do. So the stories we even write about those past periods, we write through the lens of the modern view. In a very real sense, the idea of destiny is antithetical to the modern moral compass and the modern idea of self-determination and freedom. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely scarier. It, it, it's scarier to have to to uh, make yourself responsible for a lot of things that you do and and say and the things you think and the things you know words have power thoughts have power these things are these things are our responsibility um, like Ali said to a point uh, we can't change everything about our circumstances and sometimes they they do hold us down but at the end of the day it's 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 more freeing to to kind of take the reins and take control um, as best you can. Of course, there are some things like I said we can't change or we can't change the trajectory on. But it's but it's better to uh, look and see what things you can change and then take control of those. You know, rather than just oh well, this is this is this is my life. This is how it was meant to be. So yeah, I mean it's scarier, but it's more freeing in a way. And I think that the fall is the line point you just said. To contemplate. If we're wrong, what if what if we're wrong and destiny does exist? We're playing our parts, whether we know it or not. How does that then influence your free choice, your free will? Well, it doesn't because I don't. I, I'm not. Maybe I'm not smart enough, or maybe I'm not uh, enlightened enough to to wrap my head around how every little thing that I've done was already written down somewhere. So, uh, for me, I'll have my mind blown. <laughs> I'll be surprised, Charles, when that happens, if that happens. <laughs> if, if some greater power were to come down 
and uh, descend from the heavens and tell you, look, it's all been written. You, and when you tell them, no, it's not, they'll be like, yeah, we already knew you were going to say that. Does right, that right. The way you went, assuming that, uh, that higher power was part of the plan already. Right, and assuming that after he says that, after it says that to me, um, I just stopped doing anything just to test the, the hypothesis. If that was written down too, then, you know, I mean, sure. I, right. no, no, nothing would change for me because if this was all predestined, then I'm, I'm doing my part, I guess. What am I thinking right now? Yeah. If you can't tell me what I'm thinking, then there's nothing to say that you didn't write it. That you didn't just say, yeah, when you say that. That's actually that's why, that's a conditioned response. Of course you would know I would say that. Right. That's, that's why I have this theory about uh, the Loki show. I have a feeling, I have a theory that I'll share with you off air because it's probably a bit of a spoiler, but remind me to ask you um, about the time time varying authority uh, yeah. when we when we get off. Yeah. Anytime I say yeah, it's going to Tennessee Valley Authority. So, we've, we've discussed the density. Um, morality in general would be the next thing I would like us to kind of hit on. Um, From... There you are. Okay, let me read Moral Relativism from ethicsunwrapped.utexas, the letter U for university, texas.edu, so you know it's official. Moral Relativism is the idea that there is no universal or absolute set of moral principles. It is a version of morality that advocates each their, her own, and those who follow it say, who am I to judge? Moral Relativism can be understood in several ways. Descriptive. Moral relativism, also known as cultural relativism, says that moral standards are culturally defined, which is generally true. Indeed, there are, there may be a uh, few values that seem universal, such as honesty and respect, but many differences appear across cultures when people evaluate moral standards around the world. Next is meta-ethical moral relativism. This states that there are no objective grounds for preferring the moral values of one culture over another. Societies make their moral choices based on unique beliefs, customs, and practices. And in fact, people tend to believe that the right, quote-unquote right, moral values are the values that exist in their own culture, which I would argue is exactly what uh, the individual who sparked this was trying to say we, we adhere to as American. Next you have normative moral relativism. It's the idea that all societies should accept each other's differing moral values, given that there are no universal moral principles. Most philosophers disagree, however. For example, just because bribery is okay in some cultures doesn't mean that other cultures cannot rightfully condemn it. Moral relativism is on the opposite end of the continuum for moral absolutism which says that there is always one right answer to any ethical question. Indeed, those who adhere to moral relativism would say, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Alright. I, I, I like that definition. So, here's, here's kind of my question. I'll make sure I work. Well, there's a few definitions there, but... <laughs> that, that gives us a good grounding to work on. So, Thank you, University of Texas. Let, let's, for a moment, take the thought experiment. Let's assume that morals are relative across all cultures, across all things. 
Does that in any way, or if it does, how does it change your own view of morality? What does it do for your sense of moral self, or is it a non-factor? We'll start with Justin. I, uh, I've gotten to the point in my path where, where I've decided that um, things like morals and ethics, although they come, you know, they come from different places, character is what I, what I use to describe my my overall moral or ethical stance on things. Um, and when I mean character, I'm saying, you know, it's just kind of the sum total of ethics and morals. So, I generally act the same way no matter where I'm at. And this is why, this is why I, I personally follow sets of ethics that are kind of rigid um, and heavy on things like responsibility or respect. Uh, because I like... <laughs> I like to stick to the more universal things because that way I don't get myself in trouble. If there are some nuances, um, let's say, let's say, uh, I don't know the example, I guess, I guess let's, let me use the example I, I, I used in the, in the topic, uh, child molestation. I am not, I am not enlightened to the point where if I went anywhere else in the world and I was witnessing a child molestation that I could not do something about it. I would probably be beheaded or killed or whatever. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know if that's if that's uh, uh, ignorant of me or not. I don't care. Uh, so, so my moral stance is pretty much what I carry around. What you see here, what you see on Facebook, what you see in the books and the things that I do, and what you, what you hear on the shows, what you hear in real life. You guys know me. Uh, not much changes for me, does it? No. Nope. No, you I'm, you are. You are who you are everywhere, all, all the way down to your fiery temper. Yep. Which, which I love it because, and it's, it'll sound funny to people, but why would you be so happy to see your friend who's your inspiration for calmness uh, get angry? Because it shows people that you are you. They just, mm-hmm. they've got to they step on the lion's ball to get the lion's teeth. Yeah, so 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 when, when I view things like moral, we're talking about morals, I, I automatically go to, to character because ethics are something that come from outside like codes or oaths or standards of conduct. Uh, morals are kind of those more personal things, you know, principles that we, that are based on our beliefs, our upbringing, our experiences. Um, and although those two things are interchangeable at times and we use them to guide us what, what we believe is right and wrong, uh, the only difference is, is where we get them, and, and one is easier to change than the other. It's hard to change moral stances, uh, especially when you get a certain age. Um, ethics are a little easier to change because, uh, like all things that we promote, you should be reevaluating your ethics anyway. You should be reevaluating everything from time to time to see if you're you're still, you know, promoting the things that you believe in. But so I I go back to character, the, the sum total of these things, because that way I'm always. I'm always the same guy. I, I believe in the same things. Um, no matter where I'm at, I don't, I, I'm not influenced so much by, by uh, these kinds of morals to the point where, you know, because I always want to be responsible. I always want to be respectful no matter where I'm at because the more universal you are, the, the better off you're going to be, I think. Right. Now, what are your thoughts on this? It's moral relativism is a truth, morals are not a, a solid thing, how does that change your view, or does your view change at all with it? So look, I 
You know what? Hold on. I I have an epic for you. Let me read it off here. I'm sorry, it's virtue. You do not need to agree with someone's religion, their nationality, their career choice, their dress, or anything else for that Tolerance is not about agreement. It's about showing respect for the freedom of a person's choices and to respect their choices until, until. Let, let me put some, some lines under that. So it comes down to, you know, like a little inverted pyramid. Until it reaches a point in which a reasonable person would consider the individual's actions as a, an emotional, spiritual, financially, and or physically abusive threat to yourself or another person. So listen, I respect that people have the ability to choose their morals, but you better not cross the line where you're going to hurt somebody, be abusive emotionally, spiritually, physically, or even financially. Because that, I don't care what your morals are. Your morals mean nothing to me at that point. You have crossed the line. And I will absolutely be elitist in that. That is our, that is our value. And if nobody knows what I am reading from, that is a direct quote from the document, not the book, the document, though it is in the book, the document, the Jedi Compass. And she clarifies that because a lot of people get confused and think the book is the document. The document is a handful of pages that lays out an agreed upon standard by Major players in the Jedi community from the time it was written. In 2013. And the book is a compilation of works that are centered around those those agreements. Written in 2015. Or released in 2015. Yeah, written throughout, 20, written through far before 2013 for some of the documents. It was, yeah, it was written, compiled. it was anything written between 2005 to 2015 that fit into the doc, into the sections. So, I'm going to weigh in on this one, because I, I set this up because I wanted to get your guys' view, and then I, I wanted to, of course, uh, swoop in here with mine, because this one I've got to say something on. So, moral relativism, I, I believe that all morals are relative, but I also believe that the simplest of morals, which has to do with a question of causing harm versus not allowing harm to be caused, is the core of all morality. So, by recognizing that most morals are relative, 99.9% of the time, most things are not my business. Now, I said 99.9% of the time. So that 0.1% in which another person's action is causing harm, but it's still within their morals, it is within my moral structure to not care that it's relative, that my morality is no better or worse than theirs, I'm still going to intervene. And that's under a concept that what I have been inspired by is an ideal of a guardian mentality to protect others and to do so in a way that serves rather than rules. I'm sure some of you will be able to figure out where that's inspired by. Yep. Skywalker Creed. Yes, it is. And Within that, I recognize that if I am moving to a, a mentality of I will rule over them instead of protecting someone else, that I've already uh, stepped over my own bounds. My morals 
in that respect, that's where my morality is in that. Now, I have my own codes of conduct and my own morality as to how I deal with people, and it is very scalar with the type of person I'm dealing with. If the person is noble and of good character, as Justin said, then I try to reflect that in my interactions with them. I won't lie to Justin. I won't lie to you, Adam. Uh, someone who I know is abusing their spouse and I'm trying to get information, I will say whatever I need to get the information that I, that I find useful. If I can find a way to trip that person up or cause them difficulty, I don't have any moral compunctions at that point because they've not earned a, uh, a, a degree of respect. So I would say my well, morality... That, okay, so just a quick semantics question. Would that qualify as a moral or as an ethic? Technically, ethics are what society creates and morals are what you create internally. So I have almost no ethics whatsoever. I don't care what society says at all, which means I also don't care what your society says or anyone else's. If you were raised in a social paradigm that allows you to beat your child half onto death, I don't care. That's great. And I, by, by great, I mean I, I don't want to use the word that it inspires on the air because I'm trying to cut less. But that is where you're at, and it is my moral imperative, my personal directive to protect that child and if that means I get on the phone with CPS while you're doing it and you don't notice the phone in my pocket, well oh well I promise I'm not recording <laughs> um, my promise has as much meaning to it as the person I'm giving it to to you guys it's steel it's stronger than steel to a person of ill will or ill intent I promise not to use a weapon. <laughs> I Is this promise, some quotation marks around I, that? <laughs> I promise to come unarmed. You know, I, and that's where I get into my moral relativism. I, I don't recognize morality as being solid in that respect, but I have a component of severe respect that determines how I interact with people. Then I have a morality based on the concept of protecting others from harm, as well as trying to do less harm myself. When I fail in that, I attempt to do better the next time and to find some level of redemption um, through my next series of actions. So that's how that's how I I deal with the whole morality thing. So the idea of of subjective morality, it's perfectly fine. It doesn't change what I do. I never believed that I was right to begin with. I just believed that I'm going to do what I do. So, you know, here, here's my thing. Uh, the, the idea that moral, that moral relativism is probably a better methodology of viewing the world completely negates all the great things that morality has brought for us. For example, let's talk about so nobody, no one really knows what day we're, we're recording this on, so I'm going to go ahead and lay it down for you. We're recording this on Juneteenth. Juneteenth is supposed to celebrate the liberation of black people from slavery, the Emancipation Proclamation, which also celebrates us becoming all equal in America, or, well, supposed to be all equal. 
taking the first steps towards true equality. Yes, taking the first steps towards true equality. Obviously, Lincoln's been gone for quite a while, and we still haven't fully gotten there, which is why this day is so important. This is the first national holiday. This is the first day that, the first Juneteenth is a national holiday. There we go. Per President Biden. So, my thing is, is that without, or if we had moral relativism and we allowed that to govern who we were, if we did not have a degree of, no, you have to move the culture this direction towards morality, in which case, this would be something that I'm, considering what Lincoln said and why he did it, he said, you know, I believe that God wants the black black man to be free. Like, he, he came to this conclusion from a sermon that he was listening to while his son, uh, at his son's funeral. And so that's how he came to this conclusion. So this was a divine revelation to him. So to him, it would be moral absolutism that we get rid of slavery without the idea of even toying with the idea that there is moral absolutism. We would not have this day. We would not have to say at all, because people were all in that whole, morality is relative, and, you know, you shouldn't, anybody can really believe what they want, we shouldn't, we shouldn't treat anybody as being bad, in which case, we'll get to that Taoism line, if I can find it again, but, because that that's a little bit more nuanced and whatnot, and I'll explain it later, but I'll explain why I also don't like it, <laughs> and why it's not Jedi, but still. And I keep hammering on the Jedi thing, guys, because the person who started this started coming back with Jedi shouldn't this, Jedi shouldn't that. And so I'm like, uh-uh. No. No, no, no. I, I got a section set aside for that, by the way. Okay, yeah. If I may. My point is, without without some degree of believing that morals do, that there are some morals that are universal and should be treated that way, we wouldn't have this thing. We wouldn't even have Independence Day because people would have just gone with the flow of what was going on with England. And we'd still be a colony. Pretty massive one, too. Well, Justin, you, uh... I have a, yeah, I have a comment, then I have a question for both of you. Okay. Uh, that, that's come to, come to me here. So, so, uh, morality goes hand in hand with things like tolerance and acceptance. Mm-hmm. And we should not allow words like morality, tolerance, acceptance to become a political uh, buzzword because they have they need to have real meaning in this world. They need to have real real power behind them. Remember, words have power, right? Mm-hmm. So to, to understand tolerance and acceptance it is not necessarily always agreement, but it is simply the act of allowing things to live in harmony with one another. That is ultimately what we should be striving for. We don't have to agree with every culture or everything, but you damn sure better understand that it is better to live in harmony with each other than it is to live, you know, the opposite of that. So it's, we have to be careful as a people, as a total, you know, totality of people, we have to, to, to keep fighting to keep things like tolerance and acceptance and morality and these things out of the hands of, of, of the buzzword 
the buzzword uh, uh, Olympics, because that's really where things get really crappy. You know, like, like the word Nazi. Ten years ago, if you said Nazi, holy crap, that was really, really, really bad. Now that word means nothing, because it's been just used like a buzzword so many times. We see that a lot in metaphysics, we see it a lot in spirituality, where these buzzwords have just destroyed the power behind words. So, tolerance and, and acceptance are important ideals, and they should be they should be used to, to, to gain harmony with each other. Despite what's happened in the past, we should acknowledge those things and move forward better together. So, my, but my question to you guys is this. Something has, has hit me that we're, when we think of destiny and, and morality. Doesn't morality kind of destroy the idea of destiny? It, 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 and I'll ask you like this. If, if we have to make allowances day to day based on situations morally, doesn't that mean that destiny didn't exist where, where we have to change the flow of, of, of the course of somebody's path or the full course, course of our own path because we're making these allowances and acceptances for ourselves and others? Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. Which is I, why I don't believe in destiny. I, I look at it as this. If destiny does exist, assuming that it does, and I'm operating as I normally would, then that's already as it's meant to be. If destiny does not exist, and I act as if though destiny will take care of things for me, and I'm wrong, then I allow evils and terrible things to exist that I could have opposed or otherwise uh, rectified through my normal course of actions as a person who tries to do good in the world. So, for me, the question of whether or not destiny exists at all isn't even a question. It has no bearing on things, because if it, if it does, then I'm already destined to do good things to help people, and if it doesn't, then letting the idea of it slow me down really just gets in the way. But the idea of destiny eliminates free, free, freedom of choice, which thereby eliminates all system of morality, but also all systems of philosophy. There is no point in attempting to find enlightenment if there is destiny. You will either have enlightenment find you, or you will not. Enlightenment's overrated. I can agree with that. I prefer the term transcendence. So, did that answer your question, Justin? That uh, if that is your if that is your best answer, then then that's a great answer. That. There was no right or wrong to, to that question. It was just more of a ponderance because it, it, you know, these things occur to me that it's re, it's really hard how we we promote these different ethics. Uh, the KOA, for example, we have eleven virtues that we call agreements. We have uh, precepts of knighthood. We have the axioms of light. Uh, those things are unnecessary if there if there already exists a destiny. We don't need those things. We don't need to ponder those things. We don't need to. Uh, we don't need to even worry about any of that if there is a destiny. So, by the same token, if destiny exists, then all religious values, all attempts at enlightenment or self-interest, are folly. They're right. That's what I mean. Destiny will write itself. I believe in big destiny, and what I mean is sweeping currents. Um, more I cosmic would, things, yeah. I would, yeah. I, I would get behind that. More, more cosmic level stuff. Let, let's take 
uh, the favorite example for today, especially the best example would be slavery. It was destiny that slavery had to come to an end. Now, did it have to come to an end at the time it did? No, it could have actually came to an end much earlier or much later. But as morals were evolving, as concepts of freedom were being born from religions and ideals and philosophies that were now being studied and compared and contrasted, as human knowledge expanded, as the ability to look at each other and recognize each other as having value simply because we're alive, that that itself was value in and of itself. Just to increase education where people could learn to read and write and then they had access to the printing press. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. With, these, with these things, did it have to come to an end then? No, it could have came to an end earlier. In the United States, it came to an end later than it did in England because there was no uh, there was no benefit economically to England maintaining slavery at the time, whereas with the uh, sugar and cotton fields, the two big industries, in the South, there was an economic benefit to slavery, and therefore people twisted philosophy in an effort to maintain it, but it could last forever. And eventually it did come to an end, and if it had not came to an end then, then it would have come to an end maybe a hundred years from then. Well, heck, we're still trying. We're still fighting it too. We're, we're it's taking on a new name. It's called human trafficking. We're fighting. We're still fighting human trafficking. We are still fighting unfairness and inequalities based on race, based on station, based on the circumstances of people's birth. And that fight will come to an end one day. We will see a better world where we as humans move to a better sense of self, and we know we will because we've already seen us do better than we did before. We know that destiny moves us towards better, but it moves over the course of hundreds of years and thousands of years, not in tens and twenties. And it has room. It could be 500... Destiny could happen anywhere from 500 years before or after the point which it occurs. And therefore, that doesn't that certainly doesn't change my view of events. So when I see something that is wrong or ill or evil in my estimation and I stand up against it, I am standing up because, yes, it will eventually be righted, but it will happen sooner if I'm involved. That's the view I've taken of it. It doesn't mean that I don't think there's a destiny there. I think, I think that the gears are already in motion, the machine is bigger than we understand, and that the machine moves. We are parts of that machine, and we can choose to help it move faster in that direction, or we can choose to try to delay it. So, we've, we've looked a lot at the general concepts. I want to ask you guys first, the nightly view. That view will come second, the nightly view will come first, but you can mix these if you'd like. Because we'll, I think we're moving kind of to the close of this. From the nightly view, from the Jedi view, topics, what does it inspire in you, and what message would you want to give the world as to how it can deal with this the most nightly and or Jedi way? So, we'll start with Justin. So, you want me to hit on... I'm sorry. Uh, reword the question within, like, like, like uh, four words. Four words? <laughs> Jedi, what do? <laughs> yeah, I think it's... I think it's pretty clear. <laughs> I think it's 
I think it's pretty clear um, where I stand uh, from a night a night's perspective. Um, what would you want to give us the takeaway for people of how they can look at this and either incorporate it beneficially or deal with it when they when they see people uh, using it to excuse wrongs in the world? So first, first I'll tackle destiny uh, from, from my my personal nightly perspective. Uh, because there are things called choices and consequences. And, and I've been, I've been preaching that and, and harping on that since, since 2000 and, and late 2002, early 2003 when I joined the Jedi community. And then later, uh, when the Knights of Awakening were started, um, even then. So, they relate to responsibility. And it requires a deep awareness of who you are. And what controls the undercurrents of your life, of your path? It can be very confusing and it can create a lot of turmoil because it's hard to, to accept some of these things, some of these ideas. Um, and we're talking about things that are, are within our control. Um, even if you believe in fate or destiny, there's still room, in my view, for the concept of free will. Because within there, there's choice and consequence. And if you have enough awareness and enough forethought, when confronted with a choice, you'll have better control of how things go. You can't control the whole thing, but the, 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 the key is to understanding, well, first, what can I control? I can't always control what people do. I can't control what people say. I can control how I deal with it. I can control how I'm going to uh, proceed, and you base your choices uh, on those. But there, there's consequences for everything. Um, to to totally rely on fate or destiny is to remove responsibility from your life. And I've seen enough of the real world, both the most ugliest parts of it that you can imagine to the to the best parts of it, to the most empowering parts of it. So I've been to the darkest places you can be, and I've been to, you know, to the highest mountaintops, and these things have rang true for me. So... I've always said it's better to, it's better to know where you're going and and, and uh, what you're doing than just be taken for a ride, right? But making a not making a choice is making a choice, so you're going to get burnt that way too if you're not careful. So I, I'm I'm always going to harp on the choices and consequences things when it comes to this. Uh, the the moral the moral and ethical stance I, I go back to character. I mean, there's a reason why. Um, the three of us, in particular, as far as the Knights of Awakening are concerned, we, we all agreed upon what we were going to have as our uh, agreements, our virtues, the things that, that we thought were a good benchmark for people at the baseline to, to right, to um, exhibit and to try and practice and try and incorporate in their life. Responsibility, respect, family, courage, mercy, justice, hope. Grace, generosity, nobility. We, we, we agreed that these things should be included in everybody's life. That's, that's my moral stance on it. That's where I'm at. You know, these ethics that we provide are, are, are provided in an attempt to help people be more morally sound. Now, I know that sounds kind of sanctimonious and it sounds preachy and it's probably turn, it'll probably turn people off, but that, that is where I am. In reality, I follow those things. I wouldn't expect anybody to follow something that I wouldn't do myself. And we set the bar kind of high on some things, Charles and Allie. I know we do. 
Um, but that is to encourage us to be better and to not reach enlightenment, as we don't like that word sometimes, but to grow. And if we grow a little bit better every day, then that's 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 where that's all we can do. Let me say, I think anyone that uh, those virtues or agreements would turn all for away from the message or ideals, uh, good. They're probably best served somewhere else in terms of what they're going to get out of Knights of Awakening as a group or the right. ideas they present. Um, even even my own shows which seem the most morally relativistic from some perspectives, uh, I hammer on the difference between things like justice and vengeance because you've got to you've got to be able to balance things with mercy, with nobility. Alan, okay? Let me ask you the same question I asked Justin there. Knight, Jedi, what do? <laughs> uh, oh man. Okay, so listen. You're like, we need to do some things. Listen, the, I've got some other things I want to cover. So let me first start out with just yeah, I want to go, go ahead and cover them. Cover them. Okay. This, this is not. This does not have to be. You don't have to answer. Just that's why I said literally the question. Night Jedi, what do? That's your yeah, question. Yeah. Well, okay. So, <laughs> so we have. So we first have to cover something because. Listen, the person who started this kept going back to Taoism, right? And then equating that to the Jedi path. So I have to clarify this. I, I have to go into this one. It is Tao Te Ching 78. Nothing in the world is soft and yielding as water. Yet for dissolving the hard and inflexible, nothing can surpass it. The soft overcomes the hard. The gentle overcomes the rigid. Everyone knows this to be true, but few can put it into practice. Therefore, the master remains serene in the midst of sorrow. Evil cannot enter his heart, because he has given up helping. He is people's greatest help. True words seem paradoxical. So listen, here's what this is saying to me, that the only way to not commit evil after reading through a whole academic paper yesterday on exactly how Taoism, or how the Tao Te Ching equates evil, is saying that the only way that you can be of help is if you just let everything pass through you. You're just water and you're just passing through. You do nothing. You just live. That's it. You basically let destiny just let you live. One day we might even go through this and I might even tear into it because we'll, we'll, we'll just, yeah. For now, we're, we're just going to go with this. That is not the Jedi path. Because yeah, we do not sorry. sit still. I want you... Now listen, there are times, there are times, when you can sit still and let things go. And you should. But this is saying completely, giving up on helping is the greatest help. Because you do nothing and therefore you contribute in no way, good or bad. Yeah. Context so, is important, but the thing right? Is, I want you to show me in the fiction, in the movie, because that's where really we got our inspiration from first. The the legends and all that stuff came later. Who the Jedi are is defined in the old old trilogy. I keep wanting to say Old Testament when I say it in my head, the OC. Old trilogy. In the original trilogy. So yeah, it's original trilogy, not old trilogy. The original trilogy. 
You show me how Luke, how Ben Kenobi, those are the two biggest Jedi names, and Luke Skywalker are the biggest names in the entirety of, of the OT. Like, Yoda's just a master. He's just training him. And even he's like, listen, you gotta, you gotta wait and stay. And his whole thing was more of the Jing concept. But he when, is when you watch Avatar, The Last Airbender, how the, uh, Earth King was talking about Jing, like that's more, that's more what Yoda's going with, the Jing but, concept. But he is teaching. Huh? But he is teaching, which is an active thing. Well, yeah, that, that, yeah. and that's fair. Yeah. So, but my and point he's is- teaching based on the context. See, that's, what our friend, what our friend failed to mention was that context matters. He wasn't, he wasn't taken in the context of the thing. And that's what you're alluding to, I think. Go ahead. Right. Jedi don't sit still. We actively help. And if it wasn't for Luke being part of the rebel forces, Vader would have never turned from the dark side. And let's just act Disney, okay? Likewise. Without Luke, without Luke employing some moral relativism, Vader wouldn't have been fucking no, no, he is not employing moral relativism. Because when we're talking about moral relativism from the perspective of what he was talking about, of, of no, what I'm, are, I'm talking when he gave Vader the benefit of the doubt at the end of his life. Yeah, that's uh, not moral be, relativism. That's, okay, okay. So, so, so if you're talking the movies, the Jedi, nah, the Jedi were literally absolute against Sith, absolutely. They killed them whenever they encountered. Them. They didn't try to talk them out of it. That's, they didn't. That's more epic. That's, I would that's, say that's more epic. That's, uh, we're gonna have to agree to disagree on that one. Because morally the Jedi found the Sith to be, to be intolerable. Yeah. Like, like, like they had to be killed. I mean, Mace Windu tried to kill the Emperor. Um, Anakin killed Sith Lords. Uh, Obi-Wan killed Sith Lords. Um, without, without even thinking of trying to, to, um. That's true, but that's why I'm going just OT. Okay. I'm just talking OT. That is the well. When you say movies, when you say movies, you gotta be careful because nowadays, nowadays the prequels are are just as important to most people as the. But anyways, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. No, we we were founded on the principle of the OT and some of the 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 role playing games. So that's where our foundation is. That's what inspired everybody. In fact, for the majority of the of the early community. They hated the prequels, especially Jar Jar. <laughs> so, really, that is our inspiration. That is where we came up from as a community, was the OT and a small collection of role-playing games that helped define it further, the values and the ethics behind them. Their whole purpose was to become heroes, not sages. Not sages. It's supposed to be the hero's journey. Not this from Taoism, where you're doing Wu Wei. Wu Wei is is important for when you're employing it in terms of Jing, which it, you guys don't understand what Jing is. You just need to watch all of the Avatar, and, and you'll figure it out. There's, there's like it's towards like the last book or whatever, and the king explains it. There's like there's neutral Jing, there's positive Jing, there's, there's another kind of Jing, it's Jing. Yep. But that's Com- how you properly employ it. It's in the sense of Jing, not in the sense of just do nothing. Yeah. Context is important. It really is because you know what? 
towards the end of that conversation over over at our discussion group, it started to become clear to me that that we were misunderstanding each other in in terms of Ashla versus Bogan or or dark versus light versus evil and darkness. Um, you know, darkness is a darkness is in many ways a different thing. When I'm talking about darkness, I'm talking about imbalance. I'm talking about disharmony. I'm talking about uh, corrupted thoughts or uh, uh, you know. Think things that lead to self harm and stuff. Um, I I wouldn't, you know, there was I wouldn't classify things like self harm as evil per se, but it's definitely dark versus, you know, light. So it's what I was trying to get across uh, was that context matters uh, because the the comparison was well spanking versus molestation. That that is not even in the same galaxy. That's not even in the same universe. One of those right. things, one of those things is an interpretation. The other one is an absolute evil. And I think almost everybody on the planet would agree, you know, that, that one is evil versus the other one's more subjective, but there are degrees, right? So, uh, I think, I think context is important and, and, and we lose that when we start, when we don't understand how, how the power that words carry. So like, for example, like, like, for example, uh, don't, atta- don't attach yourself to that, to that which is wicked and unjust. If a thought or deed is not in union with the precepts and principles of light, then stand away from it. Uh, Ashla is light. Light is harmony. And, he, and, and, and we kept coming back to the balance. We kept coming back to harmony. Well, evil is not harmony. E- evil is actively engaged against harmony. Remember, tolerance and acceptance is harmony. That, those aren't, <laughs> those aren't evil. If you're, if, if you're if you're uh, actively discriminating against your neighbor, and you're 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 doing things physically or or mentally to them to to cause them uh, pain or agony, that is not acceptance tolerance. That's not that's the opposite. That's evil, right? So um, I think context is really really important. Uh, if you tolerate evil, then you're enabling it. Period. Like 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 I, there's a lot of things that 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 I'm kind of you know, gray on, you know, I, I, I like to, I, I like to think deeply about things, but when it comes to like, like actual acts of evil, there is no tolerance, no acceptance. There is a line, you know, with some things. And, and what gets me about this, about what you're talking about, how we should just flow with it and accept that, that, that'll get you so far until evil is at your door. And then right. you want, and then you're wondering to yourself, how did I allow this to happen? Well, because you tolerated it. Yeah, and even at that, now I don't remember where it is, but the Tao Te Ching actually talks about how one of the things that you're supposed to avoid is increasing suffering for others. It's like in one of them. And Mm -hmm. if you actually, like, and this is kind of something that uh, Charles and I were talking about last night or today, I, I don't remember. We talked about this last night and today. But we were discussing that Taoism is not limited to the Tao Te Ching. There are philosophers and other people who are masters and whatnot, and they define morals and values and ethics. Like, the Tao Te Ching doesn't actually talk anything about the sexual uh, practices that Taoists Taoists have. Because, you know, they actually have, like, this whole formula of mysticism around them where... You couldn't ejaculate for so much, and then there was this idea that if you had, and guys, it sounds crude, but if you had sex with younger women who were virgins still, you could increase your life 
there was like this whole mysticism craziness around it. And in which case, you know, the more I read on it, the more I, I, I have to wonder, um, if I really dove into it, would I really, would I really find Taoism to be a good theology? But the point is, and I don't know either way. I only read little bits here and there. I don't know a lot about Taoism. I know about the Tao Te Ching, but that's about it. But everybody limits it. When you limit it to this one document, like it's the only Bible that's there, you're completely missing out on all of the stuff that, like, Judaism. Judaism is not just confined to the Old Testament. They have, what's the name of the book? I can't think of it. Oh, no, no. Mm-hmm. The Talmud. The Talmud. The Talmud. Yeah. yeah, the Talmud. So they have an entire thing of Talmud. And it's not just one. There's like a couple of them. And it's supposed to be huge. It's all written, like, extra information to go alongside what's in the Old Testament. It's extra commentary. Yeah. We see this everywhere. Even, like, like let's take the Jedi community. Some, some orders, and I'm talking past and present here, uh, some orders favor the, the prequels over the, 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 uh, uh, old trilogy. Some hated the movies and went strictly on the ex- expanded universe books. Some used only video games and some, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, there, there, there are a lot of different sources for these things. Um, so you, you can't just go by one thing. You can't just by say, oh, well, this, this, and this. Uh, here's, here's the interesting part. The three of us are, are, are similar in a lot of ways, but we are different in, in, in some of our philosophical leanings and some of our philosophical, mystical understandings of the world. And, and our beliefs and ideas are a little different, yet the three of us can come, can come to terms with a set of ethics that we believe will help people grow and help people be better to each other, right? So, you know, like the KOA, for example, we have a lot of different types of influences. We choose to pick the parts to, to, to focus on the parts that make us similar. We don't, we don't allow ourselves to be burdened by the things that make us different and hold us down. I'd like to, uh, make a note, if I may, real quick. There are a lot of sects, that's S-E-C-T-S, in case my microphone blurs it, of Taoism, that are very diversified in their viewpoints, and even the, uh, statement of the best way to help is by removing yourself from the need to help is interpreted differently in different sects with some interpreting it to mean that only when you give up the attachment to the result of helping can you actually help someone. And that is exactly how I took it when she read it. Right? So so I similar sects when they wrote it, which were people that then well, that sounds more Jedi to me. You know what I mean? Like, like that, that understanding sounds like the Jediism that I was brought up with. Yeah. That, that I was taught. That's the thing. There are so many facts to it. That, yeah. Uh, so many divisions, if you prefer to. I know my microphone's gonna blur that. Um, there are so many divisions to it that that one statement alone can be interpreted more than just its words, because we're also using an English translation with English inflection. Not that, you know, that has never messed anything up in translation before. <laughs> Nothing's uh, ever been lost in translation, never. <laughs> yeah, I mean, here's another 
there's another reading of that same, that exact same one. Mm-hmm. It's different. There is nothing in the world more soft and weak than water, and yet for attacking things, there are firm, that are firm and strong. There is nothing that can take precedence of it. For there is nothing so effectual for which it can be changed. Everyone in the world that, that the soft overcomes the hard, and the weak the strong. But no one is able to carry it out in practice. Therefore, a sage has said, He who accepts his state's reproach is hailed therefore as its altar's lord. To him who bears men's direful woes, may all the name of king accord. That's completely different. In like, the king stuff and the dire woes and all that, that wasn't in the one that I read. Right, and this is the thing, the translation... So not only is it, is it a question of word-for-word translation, but the language that it is written in is a highly inflective language, um, which makes for some interesting automatic translation errors and even pen-based translation. You almost have to be talking to someone who does the practice. And I've, I've looked in, I recently looked into Taoism versus Buddhism. And one of the core differences is that the Taoist believes that one only finds uh, true enlightenment or salvation, if you prefer, through aiding others, where the Buddhist seeks enlightenment or salvation through self-work internally. So there's a reason why these two ideals get mixed and merged, because they both have components of each other in them. The philosophies have been intermixed countless times through history. There is a sect of Buddhism that is balanced. So if if mm-hmm. you want to take that into account, let's um, we actually we actually have a, an official position based on what what she just read and what we've been talking about uh, within our axiom uh, number thirty eight, and it reads: Release what you think you know for fixed ideals and a hardened mind are poison. Let go of judgment and remain open and accepting to all possibilities. For every situation, there is an available solution. Sometimes it is not readily observable. Stay calm and have patience. The answer will materialize. Yeah. yeah. Even if it means cutting off the person's head. Exactly. All, yeah, all possibilities. Laser chainsaws. Laser chainsaws. You sit on down. And how it's not Jedi. To no. take it the way that he was he was presenting it. I, and I think that's a good point to raise. Did you have anything else you wanted to add on this? Or do you feel you've kind of hit the, the core components that you wanted to? I, I, I want to sum it up. Sum it up. Jedi are heroes. We actually act. We don't sit still. Unless it's needed. I'm going to give my thoughts. And then I'm going to see if there's any last words we have before we go. My thoughts on this, from just a purely knightly view, removing uh, the more specific Jedi component, I think you can't be a knight and sit on your hands. And I think, as a knight, the idea of destiny is almost profane. If destiny is a cement block, it can never be chiseled into anything else. Here, here! From the nightly perspective, there is a big difference between moral relativism and moral laziness. Moral relativism works as an ideal when one does the work to understand where morals come from, 
what their basis is in why an action is right or wrong. This is what would be called objective moral relativism, where you look at the concepts of harm versus help and try to find right action through that. The contemplative moral relativism, when one uses moral relativism only as an allowance, it goes against all of the nightmare ideals. There was one other thing I wanted to hit on. I'll let you hit on that, and then I'll hit on the Jedi uh, side of that. Okay. Go ahead. So the other thing I wanted to hit on, it was brought up that Americans specifically believe that our morality should be the only one that gets pushed. We're not the only country that does that. I just want to point out that we've got several countries trying to tell us what to do, too. Don't sit there and sit on your high horse and be like, oh, it's just America. No. No, it's all of us. We're all sitting here trying to push on our morals to other people. Just saying. We're Americans. We believe in hot apple pie, the flag, and uh, fireworks on the 4th of July. Well, no, I really don't like those. They're saying my dog. We only believe in two things. You thought you were getting three, you're only getting two. Why? Because (laughs) no. No, seriously, every country, every culture has the idea that it's right. We are known for being louder, but that's also because we have one of the highest populations and the largest media presence, because we have the largest media empires. The largest media empires, it sounds like you're going to be louder than everyone else. If there are know, protests in other countries against certain things that we have done. There are protests in other countries for the things we've done. There are protests in other countries for things that are being done there. Yes. No no countries without conflict. Yeah, and and if you want an example, a a benign example, I will give you a benign example. Everybody believes America should have free health care. Yeah. And everybody, everyone's sitting there and, like, dogging on us because we don't. I'm not going to make the statement of whether or not we should have free health care. That is not this discussion. My statement is is that everybody's trying to push us to do it. I mean, yeah, we have people internally trying to push us to do it, too. But obviously there's a huge enough push away from it that we haven't gotten it yet. So people are being told from other countries that we need to follow their model. I'm just saying it's not just us. Oh, yeah, there's a big push in both directions. And in the in, internally, there is a big pull in both directions where it becomes almost a religious debate. Yep. Um, and a lot of times it comes down to dogma and rhetoric on both sides more than facts and figures uh, for either. And I'm not so, saying that it's wrong or right. I'm just I'm just pointing out that we're not the only ones that do it, and I'm sick and tired of hearing we're the only ones that do it. Just say, we're not the only ones that do it. My thought The whole UN is this. Yeah, there you go. The whole UN is this to try and tell other people, even though they're ineffective, to try and tell other countries what they should and shouldn't be doing. Yeah. That's That's international. We just happen to hear more about what Americans are saying, and everybody complains about us doing it to them. Doesn't mean that they don't do it to us. Very well said. No one gets to take the moral high ground. Sorry. Okay. I'm off, I'm off my pedestal on that. I, 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 I've seen that. I would, 
everyone's thinking, oh, if the camera was on right now, Alicia is wearing an American flag with a bald eagle sitting on her shoulder. (laughs) (laughs) Just so that you have a good mental image, if you were able to see this, which you're not going to be able to because this is an audio only, that's what she looks like right now. Um, But I don't disagree with her. Every country does it. Um, I wanted to put my view on the Jedi side as, as someone who's been in the community for a very long time, as it concerns destiny, pulling from the fiction as a point of inspiration. Your two references to destiny happen in the same movie, effectively, or within the same two movies, uh, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, and the concepts of them start with Yoda, which he gives an idea that destiny can be changed. He says that if you fall to the dark side forever, will it dominate your destiny? Which implies that you have power over your destiny up until the point that you start giving it up to other things. That's not untrue, in my view. The second person to speak on destiny would be Darth Vader, who simply states, this is your destiny. His view of it is an unchanging, unflowing thing. You will arrive at point A or B, or you'll arrive at point B from point A regardless. You can only delay the inevitable. That's the two views of destiny. One is very loose with the idea that you guide it and direct it until you give up power to something else to do so. And the other is that it's set in stone. So you've got your Jedi and your, at the time, they didn't call them Sith, they were Dark Jedi. The term Sith didn't show up till later. You have your Jedi and your Dark Jedi view. You take that, if you're in the community listening to this, for what you will, as to what you think destiny should be. There's an idea of a guiding force. There's an idea of it being able to be trusted. But there's also an idea that you can very just as easily be controlled and manipulated by what you become within it. I would say from personal experience, viewing the world, that it's pretty accurate. Once you start letting powerful, negative emotions become your daily, once you start letting them control every aspect of your life and your actions where anger is the only thing that moves you, then eventually it's the deciding factor in what you do. It dominates your destiny. still your destiny to choose. You can still turn away from it. I have yet to see anyone whose destiny is so set in stone that they can't come back from evil, or that they can't move towards good. I've seen people, though, that make regrettable choices. And that's a personal view of it. But using the fiction as a way of uh, getting into it. So, I gave my last set of thoughts. Anything in closing? Oh, well, I had one more thing to say. Okay, one more. So, it sounds like I've been harping on this person. Mostly because Carol didn't take... Well, okay, so Charles was told right before this, the beginning of this club, this whole thing that he was going to be the person that was moderating. So it's not his fault that he didn't hit the points that I wanted to hit. I was thrown in the deep end and I was told to <laughs> So I had to keep referencing back instead of hitting the points because I'm like, well, this is where it came from. But no, no, by the end of it, uh, or towards the end of it, you actually see where the individual said something to the effect of they recently returned from California and were helping people who were refugees and whatnot, but they didn't see any other Jedi doing that. 
So there's a couple of things I want to hit on here. One, it shows that the person is not actually acting on any real ill intent. Just because somebody has an understanding of moral relativism does not mean that they inherently are going to be a bad person. There is, in the Jedi path, uh, the, the redemption arc. We see that with Vader in the OT. And so, from what I understood of what their position was, was that you, that a true Jedi should not be, um, should not be close to the idea that there could be redemption. And that I agree with. That said, I will also say that they did kind of make a judgment on what the Jedi in California do. They were like, I didn't see any California Jedi out there helping people. I think it's wrong to assign what someone's ability is and what it's not. Not every Jedi has the ability to get out there and help people due to, like, I know somebody who happens to be in California who who probably could help in that same capacity if it weren't for certain disabilities that they have. Some of them have restrictions by what they can do. You don't all have the ability to just strike off and and financially be stable to go and help people that are refugees. There are all kinds of things, and we can't look at it from that perspective. That said, that said, I want to take the time to make an announcement that an old project Rosalind Johnson and I were working on is going to be revived. It's called Jedi Can, and we're looking to build it up. It's not just me and Rosalind doing it. It's a number of Jedi leaders across the community who have come together, and we're starting to talk about it, to help people that are um, impacted by disasters. We're going to start in the U.S. because that's the easiest model to first build, but we're hoping we'll get volunteers from other countries that we can we can draw from and help them set up the same kind of model, hopefully, if we're lucky, by the end of the year. So, you know, I just want to say that we are finding ways that we can do the uh, impact people, but just because somebody's not doing it right now or going out to disaster zones right now, you don't judge them on their Jedi-ness by what they are and aren't doing. You don't know what their circumstances are. They are doing what they can with what little they have. And some of them don't know what they can do. They're still learning what they can do. So I, I just wanted to put that out there. That also means that I'm also saying don't judge the person that inspired this talk by the points that we've hit on because that conversation is it, it's based on ideology and understanding and there's information that, that gets missed in any communication. Even when we're talking like this, it gets lost. So there is redemption and that did seem to be more of what that person was talking about in the thread was that you should be open to the idea that there is redemption that can happen. But yeah. Okay, so anyways, I'm 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 off. I'm off now. You can close it out now, Charles and Justin. <laughs> All right. Justin, anything in closing? Yeah, a couple things. Um, let's see here. I made a couple of notes. The perspective I'm coming from is is one from from the the uh, from a night of awakening, right? Not a Jedi, 
not a knight, not uh, a metaphysician, not the, the sum total of all the things that, that I am and that we are together. A knight of awakening. A knight of awakening is a warrior in totality. We come from all different kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of different beliefs, practices, and we're bound by a set of principles, axioms, intentions, actions, virtues, which we call agreements. The title of knight defines someone who serves above self-interest. A knight uses talents and skills to serve a higher purpose, one that transcends beyond the self. A knight for us is both a martial warrior and a spiritual sage. A knight is someone who can teach a skill, but also defend another if necessary. As we see it, a knight can be a mystic, a warrior, a teacher, all of these at the same time, and so much more. We call them agreements instead of virtues, and the reason being is that knights in the modern day are not born. They're forged. They embark on this path with an intended purpose. They take this journey by choice rather than circumstance. They agree to live by the standards and uh, these standards of behavior. They also agree to conduct themselves in ways that set them apart from others. If you do not place these expectations on yourself first, how could you ever expect other people to follow? How can you expect the world to be better? Doing and acting accordingly is the example that is to be set. You will not be judged by the words of your mouth, but by the steps of your feet. This behavior is what people will see first and remember the longest. I want to share uh, a couple of precepts that, that um, illustrate this the best for me. Because um, someone had mentioned that I was acting like a Batman and that I was looking for vengeance and all this stuff. Um, when really I've been, I've been preaching this stuff for well over a decade now. And I live it. The first precept, I am compassionate and considerate, for I respect all life and I do not take it for granted. I honor life and respect nature. There is no greater love than life, nor no greater gift than life. I will honor and cherish it always. I am kind and generous, always giving what I can afford to those who need it more. I am flexible and practical, knowing that flexibility is vital in walking this path. When the wind blows hard against me, I do not break. I adapt. I am merciful and forgiving. Forgiveness is to be given if it is expected to be received. I am not the judge, jury, or executioner. I protect the weak and defend the innocent wherever I go, whatever I do. And I just want to close by saying this, how proud I am of you guys and how proud I am of the community, the, the KOA community, for allowing that and helping that discussion to come to the end that it came to. I'm very proud. I am very, very proud of how it ended up uh, with us coming to an understanding that, that we did. And, you know, we won't ever erase or lock or any of that stuff. So, you know, if you're a member, go over there and, and check it out. I really think you should because you'll see an, an evolution of thought and a growing of thought uh, with all parties in there. So uh, I just want to end this by saying how proud I am of all of you. I think I'd like to make that closing for the show. Well, as always, thank you for joining us. I think we've had a great discussion, a great conversation. With everything that's been said here, yes, this was inspired by a discussion, but we really went into a greater depth of some of the concepts that were only touched on in that discussion. 
in no way is any of this reflective of the individuals in that discussion in a negative or positive way. I feel that if anyone wants to see that discussion and see the evolution of it, the best way to do that is to go to the Knights of Awakening group on Facebook and take a look. What you'll see is that communication happens, and sometimes it doesn't. And it takes a little while for us to all get outside of our own view of right and wrong or our own polarized view of what the other person is saying so we can get back to center and continue a discussion. I'm very proud of everyone, just as Justin is proud of, of us. I'm proud of both Justin and Alethea, as well as the members of the Knights of Awakening group, for the way it was handled. We are one of the few groups where we can get into these deep philosophical discussions and come out the other end, still sane and functional and better for it. And I think that is a big part of what it means, at least in the group, to awaken the night within.